Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Today I am really thrilled to be joined by Travis Scott over in the US. Travis, you're most welcome to Life yeah. Beyond the Numbers. Thank you. I'm very excited to, to be here and chat. Great. Looking well, Travis, you have a couple of podcasts, The Winding Road and Marketing Unboxed. I haven't dug into Marketing Unboxed yet, but I have been listening, dipping in and out of The Winding Road. And I'm almost addicted, I think. I like the sound of your voice. And I also <laughs> just like how you speak so openly about things that many of us think about all the time. And I'm sure we'll go into that during the episode. But I wanted to kick off with one that really, it's almost like a bugbear of mine. So I was really like delighted when I listened to you talk about how the way companies hire is broken. And I also think it really speaks to the concept in my mind of life beyond the numbers. So maybe you'd talk a bit to us about why the way companies hire is broken. Yeah, absolutely. And I will to kind of say one thing about you know, my style and, and the winding road. And it's about career pivots, career marketing yourself, marketing your career, kind of personal brand, but not really that much personal brand. But and I think my tone comes from the fact that I was a recruiter. I got kind of boxed in as a recruiter for a very long time. I didn't I didn't plan to be a recruiter. I didn't really want to be a recruiter. So I'm a former recruiter who's annoyed by recruiters. So I think that's where my my tone comes from. And I, I saw how it worked from the inside. I saw how it was broken. And, and I think the reason I just didn't want to be in it was because of how transactional it was with people's livelihoods and their lives and big, impactful things, right? And they were just a number in a lot of companies. And that annoyed me. It didn't fit with the way I viewed things, my values and the way I wanted people to be treated. And, and I realized how, just how hard it is to, at the scale that companies hire and the burden they put on recruiters. I mean, recruiters get a bad name and a bad rep, but they're put in a bad position because for them, their livelihood is all about numbers as well. How many emails did you send out? How many calls did you have? How many you know interviews? How many face-to-face -face interviews have you scheduled? And how many hires ultimately? And so behavior is driven by how we're rewarded or how easy our life is made by doing certain things, right? And avoidance is another big thing. We want to avoid pain. And so pain is not making hires and getting fired. Or if you're an agency recruiter, it's you know, eating ramen because you can't afford anything else while you're in a dry spell, 
right? Because you get paid a very minor, at least in the U.S., minor base salary, and your salary is basically based on the commission that's driven by hires and a percentage of someone's salary when they're hired, right? Or hourly rate if they're contingent. And so that's just what drives that behavior, that transactional behavior. And after a while, you stop viewing people as people and you view view them as just part of your job, right? A part of like you surviving, you thriving and getting paid and in your job. And, and that's what really made it tough and because recruiters are so burdened. They're expected to do way more than they should have to do. They don't really have the time to treat each person and, and build those relationships. Because I think if recruiters had the time to really build relationships, be very niche in an area, which a lot are, but just say, Hey, I'm going to be a marketing recruiter and I'm just going to embed myself in that world and just build relationships and get to know people. And it would be so much easier for everybody and such a better experience, but they don't have time to do that. Part of it, why it's broken is the, the systems of viewing it as a funnel. And that's what drives this behavior, right? Because what I just mentioned, how many emails did you send? How many calls, how many interviews? It's all a a percentage in a numbers game, right? And after you do it for so long, if you're doing that outbound cold calling, cold email spamming to people who 90% of which are not in market, just like sales and outbound sales, right? You burn a lot of bridges uh, with people who aren't in market to find that very few that are. And if they're in market, they're in market with other people, right? And the chances of you catching them when they just said, okay, yeah, I'm ready to look, slim to none. So they're already in the interview process. So you're already behind, right? Whereas if you build relationships, they'll come to you or you'll know that they're starting to look and you could be the first to interview them and they might not even interview anywhere else. And so it's a huge competitive advantage. But after doing it for a while, you start to realize like, okay, if I send a hundred emails, 10 will get back. And that's really about 10% will get back and say, I'm interested. Of those, you you screen them, you get a little deeper than what's on their LinkedIn profile or resume. Then you have about 50% who are kind of worthy of, of the next round, right? And then from that, about a third will go into the interview and then one out of three will get hired. So you start to know those numbers. And so now your day is predicated on numbers. I need to get out a hundred emails because I know only 10 and if, if only 10, then, and I only have five phone interviews. If I don't do that, I'm a week behind. And then it's just catch up. And it's just a horrible feeling that I feel for recruiters. And now they're even more overburdened because the market is so crazy and they're spending so much time with candidates through the process and then just getting ghosted, you know, callbacks, they'll make an offer and candidates will agree to start. And then they just don't show up. I mean, it's just a bad place to be right now as a recruiter. I mean, they're in demand. They're making a lot of money. Uh, it's a good time to be a recruiter from that sense, from job security and salary bumps, but the actual job itself is brutal right now. So, That was long, but no, but it's really interesting because I think from the perspective of a job seeker, Mm. you also don't think of all of those things that the recruiter is doing because you have, like you said, you get the email and then you respond. And if your CV ticks all the boxes, you might get into the interview pile and so on, Mm. but you also can feel ghosted or rejected or just part of the numbers game. Mm. And 
we don't understand maybe enough about what the other one is going through mm, to build exactly. those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And the black hole of the, of the application process. And, it, and that really depends on the company, the role, smaller companies, the number of applicants that are qualified. It's probably a higher percentage. When you start to get into big companies, like when I worked at Microsoft and I was re recruiting for software engineers, I mean, we'd get plumbers applying to a software engineer job. And, and the hit rate was so low, like we had to go through so many resumes just to find one that might be remotely qualified. But the amount of time it took to do that, we just go to LinkedIn, do Boolean searches and find people who are pretty much a match and reach out to them, right? And and that's where we felt our time. And again, it's just time. Like we have to get these numbers, have to get these calls or else it's gonna fall apart, right? And, and so, so that's why people feel like it's a black hole because at some companies, it's very difficult. It's a time suck to go through the applicants because it's so easy to apply in most instances, right? And there are no bots. Like all these media outlets wanna talk about bots screening, they don't screen. Like there's that technology, It'd be nice if it did exist and it would work, but it doesn't exist. And so I don't know where they're coming up with this sci-fi stuff that they're putting out, but bots don't exist. You're not being pre-screened. What you might be pre-screened on is a recruiter search. Applicant tracking systems allow Boolean searches where you can say, I want to look for someone with software engineering or software design and this and that technologies like they need to have sql they need to have c sharp and you start those fundamental things they need to have you can put those in a search and if a resume doesn't have those things they're going to be filtered out so you know you're getting a little closer right and if they don't have those things they don't have those things and that's a requirement so so recruiters will filter you out through searches but there are no bots um, doing anything so I do want to clear that up because that's a big myth that's out there yeah, one that's widely held, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it is an, an industry, I mean, I think that is rife for disruption. Absolutely. It really is, isn't it? And yeah, anyway, maybe that's for another day. But yeah. I think one of the things about recruitment, though, that comes through in your podcast as a theme is those of us that don't always fit inside the box. Right. We don't take the traditional linear career path because we've added some extra strings to our bow or we don't want to be in a box. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, what do you say to people? Like, what is the winding road about, maybe? Yeah, it's about relationships. Bottom line, like build relationships, not just when you need to. I think the worst mistake people make is when they think of networking and using something like LinkedIn, they wait until they're kind of desperate until they know they're either out of a job or they're just miserable and they know, okay, I'm out. I need to find something else. And they start looking. So then they start networking and, and they're really just desperate and that desperation comes through, right? They're not really in it for the long game. They're not thinking of it as building a relationship, getting to know this person so they can get to know you through engagement in long-term, like it takes a year or so, right? To like really get to know somebody. You can do it in less time, depending on the engagement, a couple months, probably if you're active and, um, 
out there, but I think that's the worst mistake people make. And so I would say like, it's all about relationships, especially if you're making career pivots, if you're not in a linear career path, if you've pivoted, done your own thing, been a freelancer, then maybe gone back in, those kinds of things, testing things out. And I mean, I joke all the time with people that I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up because I don't, man. Like there's the things I'd really want to do don't pay enough and it's just not realistic right now. If I were single, maybe, but not with married and kids and a mortgage and everything else. And so I have to be realistic on that front. And it all comes down to relationships, bottom line. Yeah, that's, that's such a simple way of looking at it. And I think for a lot of people, that's not an easy way to do it because perhaps you become technically strong in some area and you feel that that's enough to carry you or to, to weigh you in when you need that next job. And I think a lot of people depend on connecting with people when they're in need, as opposed to connecting with people to connect with people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dory Clark. I love her stuff. I, I was part of her Recognize Expert workshop and I'm in part of that community. And, and one of the, I mean, a lot of things that she's said have really stuck with me, but one thing in particular that I, I remember her saying is that when it comes to networking, when she connects with somebody, whether it's like LinkedIn or, or meets somebody through somebody else. And, and in her new book, The Long Game, she talks about her networking strategy and it's awesome. I mean, I would highly recommend anybody read that, but she said she doesn't ask for a favor until she's been connected with them or known them for a year. And that's just her her standard. If she connects with somebody, meets somebody, she won't really ask for anything, ask for a favor, ask for anything for a year. But she takes a long game approach to, to life and business, right? And if you're in it for the long game, you can just work on building the relationship and understanding how you can help that person as much as they can help you, right? Mm. So, so yeah, that's an interesting approach and, and one I think about a lot. It is, and I... <laughs> The amount of people that I've met to come on the podcast, I, there's no way I've waited very long either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even with you, say, you know, when we met, it's not been that long ago. And mm -hmm. and here we are having a conversation. But it's, I like that. That's a nice approach as well to. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's also finding what works for you. Right isn't it? And, you know, different strokes for different folk. But I'm in total agreement that I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either. <laughs> and I've said that all my life. And I think that's great because it leaves the world open mm -hmm. and the box yeah. open, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that comes across so much, Travis, is you talking about being boxed in have you been boxed in or how do you know you're boxed in i mean I, I think you know you're boxed in i mean this is good or bad it depends on your style and what you really want to do you know you're boxed in where you sense that people are referring to you as that such and such guy right oh he's that recruiting guy well no i'm not in recruiting anymore but i'm that recruiting guy in a lot of circles and i've been boxed in even eight years after I last done any formal recruiting in a full-time role, I still am boxed in in that capacity. So I think that's how you know, and it can be good if, if you are in business and want to serve a niche, 
and they say, hey, you were that RevOps guy, right? Now you're like, okay, it's working, right? That's what I want to be. That's the box I want to be in for now, but I want to be in that box and you're intentional about it. But when you don't want to be in a box and you start to be referred to as that, that guy or, or gal, then it's kind of annoying. And you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not that guy. You know, recruiting was when I felt boxed in, um, because I kind of, I think like a lot of people accidentally slid into it. I was getting an MBA and, and focusing on marketing and took an internship to do a marketing plan with the staffing agency. And next thing I know, I'm recruiting. And next thing I know, 10 years later, I'm still recruiting. And I'm like, well, how do I get into marketing when I don't really have any experience? All I've got is an MBA that was 10 years ago. <laughs> that, that iron is no longer hot to strike, right? Like needed to strike that as soon as I graduated and didn't. You're kind of out of loyalty and, and partly money. It was a good time to be a recruiter then. And it's like, you know, why am I going to take a couple steps back, lower my salary to get into this new thing, right? And eventually it got to the point where I'm just like, man, life's too short. I really don't want to be doing this. I enjoy marketing. And so I spun up a side gig and because no one would hire me, right? Because I didn't check any boxes. If they looked at my resume, I was a recruiter, not a marketer. I think a lot of times in, in life and in our careers, we just have to take control and not enough people do it. And you're the only one that's going to give yourself a chance. No one else really will. And it, they will if you build the right relationships. Like that's how you get one step further to someone else giving you a chance, but you're the only one that's going to give you a chance. And so I realized that I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I've got to get this experience. And so I went out and offered dirt cheap hourly rates to get projects on the side and it worked. I got them. And you just act as if like, cause you can figure it out in the day of the, in the age of the internet, like everything's out there, especially now with YouTube videos. I mean, anybody can figure out any, cause it's all invented, right? Like, like Benjamin Zander says in his book, the art of possibility, everything is invented. And when I read that, the light bulb went on, I'm like, Shh. like the only thing that might be out of my realm is like physics and like really advanced stuff, like being a doctor, like that's out. <laughs> Maybe being a lawyer, but I could probably go back to school and be a lawyer. An astronaut. An astronaut, that's out, but um, pilot, fighter pilot, that's out. But there are very few things that are truly out when you think about it. Like everybody had to learn this stuff somewhere. And why can't you learn it, right? Like I just went to the Super Bowl and my team, the Bengals, hadn't won a playoff game in 33 years. And they happened to win three and go to the Super Bowl. So I went and after they won a, won a game, like their mantra was, why not us, right? Like why not us? And so I feel that way about my career. It's like, why not me? And I'm making a pivot right now, kind of into revenue operations. And there's a lot I don't know, a lot I need to learn. But at the core, I've got the experience. It's just the nuances and like pulling it together, right? And getting some projects. And so I'm right in the middle of reinventing myself again for probably the fifth time in my career. And so now I know how. I know that I need to be scrappy and Grit is my word of the year um, because I know that's what it's going to take. And you have to be humble too because you have to realize like, hey, so many people out there know more than I do. And that's always going to be the case. Always, right? Always. And so you can't let that get to you either. And you just got to know like there's a market for me. It's not the market that these people who have been doing it for five years are in or 10 years, right? That's not my market yet. I'm in a different market, a different subset. I need to find that audience start there 
and then grow into that. And, and nobody's truly an expert. I did Dory's recognized expert thing. That's why it's recognized and not expert. People can perceive you and recognize you as an expert, but you're never an expert. In my last job, when I was the director of marketing for a company, uh, B2B company, the, the president would always like refer to me as an expert. I told him, don't call me that. Like, don't say that because I'm not, no one is. I don't like that. I don't like guru even more, but I really don't like expert. If somebody wants to call me an expert when I'm not in the room, fine. But if I'm in the room, don't call me either one of those things because I don't like it because I know there's so much more to learn and I'll never learn it all. And always be somebody that's more of an expert than me. And being unboxed, kind of like what you said, it leaves the door open. I think it just fosters continuous learning because the door is always open. There is more to learn. If you ever think that there's not more to learn, then either you don't want to learn or you just don't get it because there's always more to learn about everything like um always so yeah i like what flashed into my head was think again because you're right there's always more to learn yeah yeah Yeah. and about anything and and like you say i mean i think the world is your oyster way much Mm -hmm. more than when we would have graduated university or whatever Mm -hmm. back in 80s 90s time yeah when you think where we are now the opportunities for people are so there for the taking and it's also encouraged to learn outside of your discipline to add Mm -hmm. more to who you are and yeah follow those threads I think that's it as well isn't it it's getting to understand what you enjoy doing Mm is important too yeah. if you're going to go down the road of of side gigs for example yeah. the last thing you want to do is start learning about something that you ugh, abhor yeah. because you won't exactly. get very far exactly yeah there's getting out of your comfort zone and then there's like playing in fire right you want to be uncomfortable because like seth godin says that's your compass that means you're pointed in the right direction but going way out there there's a fine line Right. And being able to connect dots is a very powerful thing. I think that's something that I've always been able to do. I've always had a broad kind of diverse like slate of interests all all across the board in a lot of different areas. And I think by having that, I will read things about different things. And then I'm able to say, oh, well, I know how that could apply here. And I know how that could apply here. And, And honestly, like the side gigs that I had, in marketing while I was doing recruiting helped me connect so many dots and actually made me a better recruiter and made me more valuable. And this was back like when side gigs weren't really a thing. I had to like keep them very under the radar, but still I was bringing value back to the company and they didn't even really know, right? Because I was getting exposed to different things, to marketing and, and how marketing's done and how people think that are marketers. And I'd come back to recruitment. I'd be like, why aren't we doing this? This seems so logical, but why is no one doing this, right? And connecting those dots, being able to to do two different kinds of things at the same time has really helped. And I think that's why I have gravitated towards revenue operations because I've done sales, I've done marketing, I've done account management and the customer success side of things. And so I've been in all of those roles and I understand how it works and how it should work and how to blow up the silos and create one revenue team instead of three different teams, right? And so, and I, and I, 
I feel like I'm a creative person, but the creative part of marketing isn't where I thrive. I thrive in the back end, more the engineering scientific side, because I'm more scientific minded. So I feel more comfortable out of the limelight, pulled back in to operations, right? So and I think that's part of just testing, getting out there and finding out where, because when I first started thinking about marketing, it's big, man. And it's even bigger now. Like, do you want to do content? Do you want to do social? Do you want to do SEO? Do you want to just do email? What do you want to do? And it's like, I don't know, right? And then I'm like, none of those. I want to just work on the operations and the tech and helping people make a better team and uh, more cohesive team and work on processes and efficiencies and grow that way when other people focus on growing from the other side of things for leads, right? So. And you always need the back office for want of a better term, but you need that to work to serve the business so the business mm -hmm. can go and do that other stuff. And if you have an understanding of what the business is trying to do in the first place, mm -hmm. then you can connect those dots. Yeah. And I exactly. think that's a lot of what happens is like you say, there's three separate teams and they don't know how to talk to each other. Right. So they just go around in circles and the business yep. is off and they're wondering why they're not a success. <laughs> exactly. Or, or they've grown. And I think the biggest bottleneck to growth is, operations doesn't keep up right you, you can operate at a certain level with things in your head and not really formal processes kind of shooting from the hip but you get to a certain point of your growth and that doesn't work anymore and you start hiring more people and now your knowledge needs to be systematized and documented and you have to have processes so you can onboard and train and and like you're less part of it as an owner as a founder your influence is there but now it's trainable right it's transferable and replicable yeah. Yeah. and i think so many companies and leaders lose sight of that they don't it just sneaks up on them right and that's the biggest bottleneck to growth and i think that's why some people are really good at growing companies getting the funding getting them off the ground they get to a certain point and they're just lost and the company fails because they didn't know how to take that next level with an operations side of things right and i think as well i mean i have a finance background and so having seen it from that side as well people underestimate the work that's involved mm -hmm. and they think anyone can do this stuff and they've managed on their own and then suddenly yeah like you say this exponential growth and they're just shocked that now they need an army <laughs> to <laughs> deliver yeah and it's also like what you said about expert earlier there's that danger too, isn't there, that an expert can become complacent mm -hmm. or say, this is the way we've always done it and not be open to that yep. growth or to that change or even thinking that, well, actually, how could anyone do what I do? Because mm -hmm. I'm the expert. Yeah. So we put those constraints in our own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And by boxing yourself in and being focused on one area, like let's say that you're at HR and you're just focused on talent acquisition and you've come up through that ranks, which happens a lot. If you're a talent acquisition manager, chances are you were recruiting and moved up, you know, and so that's all you know. You've never done marketing. You've never done sales, even though recruitment is sales. You've never done formal sales. You don't have this other experience to draw on and foster creativity and connect more dots. And a couple of years ago, I was listening to Adam Grant's podcast and, and he had a guest on and they were talking about cognitive entrenchment. And that stuck with me because that is a big hurdle for people. 
because they get entrenched and and they put their own they build their own box and they can't see other things. And that's why I say take a side gig, like step out and do something so you can break that cognitive entrenchment and and see other things because yeah, you just think you know everything and this is how it is, this is how it's always done, it's worked and you don't know any other possibilities. So that stuck with me a lot when I heard that. I'm like, oh my God, I've seen this so many times and it's hard to talk to people. And that was my biggest problem when I was doing these marketing side gigs and coming back with these ideas. I'm like, why don't we do this? It was so hard because they had no idea. They they had no idea what it was, why it would work, why we should do it. Cause it was so different than anything that had been done before. And it was frustrating for me. And that's what finally forced me out. I'd worked so hard to get into Microsoft and finally I'm just like, I cannot break through. It's just numbers and I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do other things. And I felt like I had so much to offer and I just can't offer it because it's a big company and I'm in a box, right? And so I quit and said, I'm just going to do my marketing thing, full, my side gig, turn it into a full-time thing and just take the leap and do it. And so I did. So and what was that like taking that leap? Oh, it felt so great, man. Scary, but it felt great. And it felt like freedom. And it felt like, man, I'm free of that. And I can finally make an impact. I can finally do what I enjoy. And I think over time, you start to enjoy different things. And to circle back to the enjoyment piece of it that you had mentioned earlier, leads me to passion and how overrated, I think, trying to find a role that fits a passion is. And I agree with Cal Newport from his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. I think it was there that he said it, or maybe it wasn't him. Somebody said it, that a lot of times your enjoyment in what you do will come from mastering something. And, and I think about that all the time with my new, you know, I just left another company and started my company again. It's the same name and same company I started before, just reviving it. And it's so tough pivoting and learning something new and I, I just keep thinking, man, I can't wait until I get to a point where I have processes and I, I like to my projects and I know the steps we're going to take and I can talk to somebody and they say something. And I instantly am like, bam, I know exactly what to do. Exactly. Here's the process. Here's how to work right now. I'm making that stuff up, like figuring it out. And it's, it's enjoyable. The learning's enjoyable, but that piece of like not really knowing, okay, now where do I begin? Like, how do I build this proposal? What are the steps? What's the outline? How do I explain to the client, here's how we're going to do it and what we're going to do and what you can expect? Because I don't know, right? And I'm learning that. And neither do they. And so that's why you just act as if, right? And so you can figure it out. And, and then you do figure it out. And then the enjoyment comes when you have a certain level of mastery. And, and it feels good to be able to see things, right? And and see, okay, you know exactly because you've seen it before and you just have to see it before. And you've got to go through these experiences because nobody else knew until they saw it, right? And that's why it took them 10 years to get to where they are. And when you talk to them, you're like, God, how do you know that? Well, it took 10 years and I've been doing it for five months. So of course, I'm not going to know that right now, right? And I think that's what you have to understand is cut yourself some slack and understand where you fit and, and right now. And don't compare yourself to those other people like that have been doing it. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, you can love him or hate him, but he's recently been talking about how long it took him to get traction, 
right? He shows these videos of when he had hair and like all this stuff. And he's like, it took me 10 years of just putting out content every day until someone noticed. And then it took off. And now you see him as what he is now. And you think, man, that's what you're comparing yourself to. And it's not fair to yourself. And so stop doing that. Like just stop comparing yourself. Compare yourself to yourself and where you were yesterday, where you were a month ago, where you were a year ago. Compare yourself to that, not something that you don't even know if you'll become or if you even want to, right? So so compare oh, backwards, not forwards. Absolutely. Right? And, and and that's back to the words you talk about grit as well, I think, mm -hmm. because it does take, you know, progress seems to be very slow. And you do, you can't help but look around you and, and see what other people are doing and compare yourself. And I agree, mm -hmm. it's like, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. But it's human nature as well to, to look around and see what others are doing. But there's such a joy in, I suppose, steering your own ship, having your own winding road, mm -hmm. whatever the metaphor yeah. is, and getting people to come with you on that journey mm -hmm. and, and learning as you go. Yeah. Because you're not an expert. No one is. No one is. But you'll do just as good a job, if not better, than mm -hmm. anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And if you just focus on the clients you have now and, and wowing them and exceeding their expectations and, and delivering such a great experience, they'll refer people and the flywheel starts, right? And that's where it, it just begins with one. You just need one client that will tell others, right? And then you get three and then they tell others and it just starts to grow, right? Like, then it does come down in numbers and it is a mathematical realization at that point. Like, you start developing uh, mass, right? So. Yeah. And Travis, in a number of your podcasts, you talk a lot about reading and books. And I mean, there is so much. And even today, you've dropped so many <laughs> names of fantastic authors in there as well. And I'm a big fan of Adam Grant and Dory Clark and, well, Seth, of course. Mm. But you also have written your own book. So congratulations. Thanks. Think Differently. I haven't read it. I only came across that recently. And you describe yourself as having a book problem. Yeah, I do. I do. Probably I have a learning problem. Like I, I just enjoy learning and I, and just, I feel like a kid all the time that the world's new. Like I know there's so much more out there that I don't know. And, and I mean, if you saw the stack of books on my desk right now, you see them behind me, I've got boxes over here because I, don't have a big enough bookshelf because I came from another office that had more space. So I'm thinking about putting more bookshelves up because I have to. And I just added a new book to my list on Amazon today. Usually I just pull the trigger, but I'm like, nah, I might want to unbox this. <laughs> I guess I'll wait till I talk to the author and see if they're interested and then I'll order it. Then I'll unbox it. Right. And create this video that I have planned for my podcast. And those things that I've mentioned were really just like one thing from each book. And if you just pick up one thing, and that's the nice thing is when you have the book, go read it again and you'll pick up something new every time, right? Or just skim it and you'll pick up something new after you've read it. You don't really have to reread it cover to cover again. 
If you just pick up one thing from every book that you read, now you can connect dots and now you can start to pull it together and you have a, you're starting to build a tool belt of different skills and perspectives and ways of looking at things, ways of doing things, influence, right? Influence of how you operate, influence in your values and how you go about working. Right. And so, yeah, I love books. I can't get enough books. I think my wife has gone from rolling her eyes when she sees another Amazon package show up that clearly is a book to now she's kind of like, I don't know what the psychological term is for like being defeated and not even showing any emotion, but it's just like, yeah, whatever. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> it's going to happen. Resigned to it. Yeah. She, yeah, yeah, she has. She's just like, well, that's just, it's, she's accepted it. Right. Of This is who I am. This is what I do. <clears throat> so it gives me joy so i was in a bookshop because i have a book problem as well <laughs> and i was <laughs> in a bookshop not that long ago and i bought a couple of books and as the guy behind the counter was giving them back to me i said now i have to go home and hide these <laughs> and, he, and he said to me he said you would not believe the amount of people that say that when they buy books here and really? i just thought okay that's that's a relief because yeah. i'm not alone <laughs> yeah exactly well one one of my workarounds something that i did was when i did re get my business back up and i i wanted a business credit card i got the amazon business credit card that gives me points and then i've been buying my books at the end of the month whenever those points hit my account i'll buy books so it's my motivation to make more money so I could spend more money so I can buy more books. Like that's driving my business. That's my purpose, right? Like when I tried to in December, when I sat down and tried to figure out what's my purpose it's to buy more books. It's not really, it's, it's to create more experiences and, and memories. That's really what I came up with, but, but books kind of help with that too. So. And it fits a theme actually, because you talk about growing that you like mm -hmm. to grow. So I think you're growing a book collection, but you grow other things too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a plant nerd it, enrolled in the Washington state university. Uh, I live in Washington state in the U S and I'm in, involved in their uh, master gardener program, which are the ones that started it in the beginning anyway. So I'm kind of in the OG program. So that's kind of cool, but yeah, just so I can learn more. I've loved plants my whole life and thought I knew a lot until I took this um, in this program. I'm like, I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. I've been planting trees wrong all along. Had no idea that you could, I think it's called bud grafting, and you could take a plum tree and take three different varieties of plum and put them on one tree and get three different kinds of plums on one plum tree. I blew my mind. I'm like, what? Really? Whoa. Unreal. So, so yeah, there's so much I still, you know, don't even know about something I've loved my entire life. And so, but yeah, I love plants. Um, you know, one of my markets that I'm trying to, to learn more about and, and explore is ag tech, agriculture tech. My in-laws have a 10,000 acre farm in South Dakota here in the U.S. And, and I'm a plant nerd. And so I figured, hey, I understand this stuff. I get this stuff. It would be fun. And so that's how I'm kind of taking what I do now and, and, and leveraging passions in it and things I enjoy of, hey, I own my business. I can decide what markets I'm in, right? And if I enjoy that market, I don't have agricultural technology experience, but I have marketing experience and they need marketing and I understand their business and I enjoy that and enjoy talking that talk. And so why not do marketing in a space that I enjoy? So, so I'm, I'm taking that, that approach as well of, Hey, can't do ag tech, but I can be in ag tech. Right. So leverage it that way to just take your, 
strengths and what you do and find ways to apply it to things you enjoy. Kind of backdoor your way into things more or less, right? So. And back to backdoor, yes, but also the relationships that you've mm -hmm. invested in, not for something out of them, but just because that's the type of person you are all the mm -hmm. way along your career. And mm -hmm. then you can go to somebody and say, hey, I'm now doing this. Know anyone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Travis, I know you do some work over in the UK as well. And mm -hmm. maybe you talk about what you're doing on this side of the world with people <laughs> and how might people connect with you if they're interested in hearing more? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I do have clients there. The world I came from was more traditional B2B kind of manufacturing, kind of not, but in that space. Right. Um, and so I have a client in the UK who, who's in that world and helping them with some HubSpot stuff. They, they have HubSpot and I'm helping them to optimize that and revenue operations and marketing operations and uh, some Google ads stuff. It used to be my specialty. It shifted away, but I still do it. So helping them with that. But, um, but that's kind of what I do here in the U.S. as well. So and if you want to contact me, I'm on Twitter at 509marketer. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If you just search for Travis L. Scott, I've had to put my initial in because there's a rapper here in the U.S. that decided to change his name to mine. It's caused all kinds of problems. Uh, from a personal brand standpoint, my personal brand is toast, but or not, but I mean, you can yeah, ride on his coattails, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered sushi last night, went into picking up and they asked who it was for. I told them like, Oh, I was expecting somebody different. I'm like, well, yeah, I know. I told my wife, I'm going to have to come up with an alias cause it was kind of cute for a while, but now it's annoying. I need an alias, but you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active. And then my web, my business is Rainier digital named after Mount Rainier here in, in the U.S. in Washington State, R-A-I-N-I-E-R-Digital.com. And Travis at Rainier Digital is my email. So reach out, do strategy sessions with people, help them kind of uncover some things. So happy to do that. So Brilliant. And your podcasts as well. Yeah, Marketing Unboxed is my recent one. Winding Road has kind of taken a pause right now, but I will be spinning that back up later in the year. But right now, Marketing Unboxed, I have a co-host, Ali Schwanke. She's a HubSpot partner as well. We both are. And focus on four kind of series, leadership, HubSpot, RevOps, and authors, an author series where I'm interviewing book authors. So brilliant. So plenty there for people. And, plenty, yeah. and even though the winding road, there's not like new stuff going on there at the moment. There are plenty of episodes to get stuck mm -hmm. into. Yep. And some really interesting conversations with people about non-linear careers, I think, that Absolutely. are useful for people that are interested in that. Yeah. And I'm kind of going through a pivot and going through some stuff now that I'll talk about later. Right. And so that's why I could talk about it now, but it's too fresh. I want to build a story out of it, see how it goes, what happens. And so, yeah, I'll have more later in the year in the coming months and we'll spin that back up again and some interviews, but mostly just riffs, right? Of 15 to 25 minutes kind of talking about things, so. Great. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. It's absolutely flown by, I can't believe I know. it. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely talk to you for longer. And so maybe you'll come back another time, Travis. Yeah, I would love to, I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too.
I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work, and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.